morning, everybody. It's a privilege to get to share with you guys this morning. I am very thankful for the opportunity to be here. We definitely enjoyed, Clifton, Ashley, and I enjoyed our time at the retreat yesterday and the night before. And I encourage you, if you haven't streamed the messages that, that David Beakley has shared, I, I encourage you to listen to them because um, there's a lot of rich um, biblical truths and treasures there. And um, definitely learned some new things um, from the Old Testament. And so I'm excited to, um, Lord willing, go back up tonight, hear some more. Um, and then tomorrow morning, again, we have another message. So I believe if you are on our email list, I think those links went out for the, uh, the videos and the stream. So um, even if you missed the live stream, I'm, I'm pretty sure it'll remain on YouTube for you to, to watch. Sarah's nodding her head yes, okay. Um, so this morning, I wanted to share with you guys um, about uh, how you can have access to God's presence. Um, and, and I wonder how often we, we think about that, like how, how you can have access to God. Um, I know that for some of us who've been Christians for a while, um, I feel like we forget what a privilege it is that we get to go into the very presence of God and like enjoy him, present our requests in prayer before him, we get to praise him in song as we just did. Like, as believers, we're actually coming into the presence of God. And our, our text tonight will show us that, or, or this morning will show us that. And, um, yeah, I just feel like we often rush into our worship or our prayer um, without even thinking about who it is we're talking to. Um, and we're talking to God. Um, we're talking to the creator of, of all things. Um, the, the self-existent great I am. This is who we go to when we worship. Uh, he's the one who's without beginning and without end. And he's the one, as Paul says in, in 1 Timothy 6.15, is the, the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords. Just think about that. King of all kings. You know, you can imagine the highest kings on the earth. And our God is higher than that king. He is sovereign over him the Lord of all lords, master of all masters. Um, nobody can compare to his authority and sovereignty. Um, and then he goes on to say, Paul says, uh, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. And then he says, to him be honor and eternal dominion. This is the God that we uh, have access to. And as we think about that, it's like, how, how is it that we could have access to him? Um, you know, think about Isaiah, like when he found himself in God's presence in, in chapter 6 of Isaiah. He cries out and says, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And he comes to realize this about himself as he's there in the presence of God. And he says, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord, Yahweh of hosts. And so our passage today tells us that we can have confidence to enter this very place. Like to stand where Isaiah stood. And we can be accepted and welcomed before God. 
We, like who are sinners, who, like Isaiah says, woe is me, like I, I deserve to be damned. We can be welcomed before the Holy One. And uh, some of the Jewish believers to whom the book of Hebrews was written um, seem to be deeply concerned about this. Um, some, to be, some seem to be wondering if, if Christ's sacrifice was truly enough to make them acceptable before God. Um, like, is Christ powerful enough? Is his one sacrifice, can that really, truly cleanse me of all my sins? Don't I need to do, like, more? Like, isn't there more cleansing needed? Don't I need to make at least one more sacrifice, especially for this one sin I know I've committed? So some were doubting so much that they were tempted to go back to the sacrificial system, um, to Judaism, or at least to add Judaism onto their Christianity. I need Jesus plus sacrifice. Um, so they, they felt like they needed to do more to be right with God. And, and I wonder if any of you feel that way, that you need to do something, um, that something else must be done to cleanse you of your sin, um, that something else must be done to make you acceptable before God. And I, I think it's a temptation we all face um, at various times of our lives. Um, we think, like, God doesn't want me in his presence. Um, I, I've sinned too much today, or I've sinned too much this week, or I've been in this season where I just feel like I'm failing all the time, and like I know God's calling me to him, but like I'm just so sinful, I can't go to his presence. Or maybe if some of us know, like theologically, like I have access to God's presence, I know it, but, but I just feel like, like God's just putting up with me. Like Pastor Josh has shared before, like how he said, like, he used to have this thought that, and he, and he even thought it was like humble, and I think we've all been there where it's like, yeah, like I have access to God's presence, but he's like not really happy with me right now, and he says like, just go stand in the corner out of my sight, you know? Like I, I think a lot of us feel that way often. Um, we, we don't think that God actually desires us in his presence or that we can be acceptable before him. But the author of Hebrews spends a great deal of time speaking to this very issue of how it is that we can have confident access to the presence of God. He wants his audience to be assured that the old way of approaching God through the sacrifices prescribed in the old covenant has now become obsolete. That, that all those sacrifices of the old covenant were pointing to Jesus, the mediator of a, of a new covenant, Jesus, who is the, the all-sufficient high priest, um, whose one offering makes his people entirely acceptable before God for all time. And so today, uh, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 19 through 22, we're going to examine what it means that Jesus is our high priest. And, and we're going to see how his high priestly work makes us welcome in the presence of God. And, and I want to study this so that you, like every single one of you here, um, will have confidence to draw near to him, our holy God. So turn with me to Hebrews 10, um, and in verse 19, I'll read through uh, verse 22. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. 
by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I just want to pray and ask that the Lord would would plant these truths in our hearts, that he would give us ears to hear and and hearts that would receive and and truly believe um, what God has to say in this passage. So let's pray. Father, we we thank you, God. Just thinking right now, we are coming before your very throne. We are coming into your presence. And here it says it's, it's not because of our own merits. It's not because of our our performance. Um, it's because of Jesus. And so we come to you in his name, and we ask, Lord, for his sake and for your glory, Lord, that you would reveal these truths to our hearts, God. Um, help us to believe, Lord. If any of us are doubting, Lord, I pray that you'd give us great assurance um, that Jesus is the high priest we need. Um, Lord, I pray that you'd grant us understanding as we seek to know what it means to be a high priest, as we review the old covenant. Um, and the, the way the priests mediated back then. Um, Lord, I pray that you would grant us understanding so that we may know um, that Jesus' work is far greater um, than what they had in the Old Testament, um, that we've been accepted if, if we're in Christ, um, that we are part of a new covenant, um, an everlasting covenant. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us just great assurance and great understanding through your Spirit Um, Enable me to teach clearly, Lord, I ask and I pray that um, you would guard my lips from speaking error and that um, we'd all come away knowing the truth. We ask this, um, that you do it by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So before uh, we get to our passage tonight that I just read, um, we need to know a little bit about how God could be approached under the old covenant. Um... The old covenant that that God inaugurated with Israel on Mount Sinai after he had redeemed them from slavery in Egypt. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time. I had uh, James read all of of chapter 9 because we're going to spend some time there. And uh, the author of Hebrews um, helps us understand a bit about the significance of the old covenant and then helps us understand how Jesus is even the greater high priest than the priests, the high priest of the old covenant. Um, so some background, it was the, the old covenant was essentially an agreement between God and Israel, um, a promise that, that he would be their God and that they would be his people and that he would bless them if they were careful, careful to obey his laws. Um, God said in Exodus 19, five to six, he says, now therefore, If you will indeed obey my voice, he's speaking to Moses and Israel here. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And what's amazing is that as part of this covenant, like one of the blessings that Israel was to receive... um, I'll just read it for you from Exodus 25. He says to Moses of Israel, he says, Let them, let Israel, make me a sanctuary 
that I may dwell in their midst. That's Exodus 25, verse 8. God commands Moses to have Israel build him a sanctuary so that he could dwell with them, like be among the people of Israel. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will dwell with you. Um, like this is at the heart of, of the, the, the old covenant and the blessing of the old covenant. The highest blessing was that God would dwell with them if they would continue in his laws. And then Exodus 29:45 says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And so the question really is, like, how is this possible? Like, you know, everything that I said about God earlier, um, we, could, we could add to that from the book of Exodus. Like, we're talking about God who, when he revealed his glory to Moses, he had to shield him from it in the cleft of a rock so that he wouldn't die. And he says he's going to dwell with Israel. And this is the Israel who at that very moment when God was inaugurating that covenant, when he was explaining the, the details of the covenant to Moses as Moses was on top of Mount Sinai, Israel was at the bottom of the mountain making a golden calf to worship. Like how can this holy God dwell with such an unholy, sinful, and rebellious people? And this, this question is essentially the question that we're left with at the end of the book of Exodus, when God's glory, like his presence, comes and fills this tabernacle that they had built um, by his command. And we're like, how? How can the holy God, how will this be possible that he can live with such sinners? And the book of Leviticus is the answer to that question. It reveals that this will be possible, God dwelling with man will be possible through sacrifice. Um, sacrifice and, and ritual cleansing. And sacrifice was the means God gave to Israel for their sins to be forgiven, to have his holy wrath turn away from their sins, from their transgressions, from their crimes against God. It was his way of cleansing them of their guilt. And the innocent blood of that sacrificed animal um, made atonement for their sins. Um, the animal was slain in their place. And, and these sacrifices allowed the people to have fellowship with God, um, to enjoy his presence dwelling among them. And they, through these sacrifices, could draw near to God and worship him. And ritual cleansing was another essential part to this. Um, see, like God and his, and his tabernacle uh, were holy, and nothing unclean was allowed to come in contact with the tabernacle. And unclean in the Bible doesn't mean like unsanitary. We think of using Purell or something like that. Like unclean um, in the Bible were essentially, it's hard to, to, to put them all in one category, but essentially it seems that they were things that were associated with either death or idolatry. So you could become unclean through association with things uh, that had to do with death or things that had to do with idolatry. And since God is, is the source of life, right? Um, in his presence is the place of, of fullness of life. So nothing unclean, nothing associated with death was allowed to come before his presence. So God provided these, these means of ritual cleansing so that the Israelites could be cleansed of their uncleanness 
and draw near to God in worship. Like, come before him at his tabernacle and, and be near to his presence. But when I say be near to God in his presence, I don't mean like inside the tabernacle, um, like where God actually dwelt. That was only a place that the priest could go. And the average worshiper could only come into the, the temple courtyard. And inside the temple courtyard was where the altar was. And the worshiper could come and bring his animal sacrifice before the altar. And there um, the priest would help put it on the altar. And, and through that way, the, the worshiper had fellowship with God. And, and the priests were the mediators of this system. And, and they offered the sacrifices, like I said, on behalf of the worshipers. Um, and they also ministered inside the tabernacle, um, but only in the first section uh, called the holy place. The, the tabernacle really has, has two sections. Um, there's the holy place, and then there's the holy of holies, or as the author of Hebrews calls it, the, the most holy place. And there was this veil separating the two rooms inside the tabernacle. And this veil was necessary because behind the veil in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And there on the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat, on top of the Ark of the Covenant, was where God manifested his presence. And so nobody could go into God's presence, his immediate presence there in the Holy of Holies, except the high priest. And he only once a year got to go in there. God provided this one very special day in which the high priest could enter the most holy place into this very presence of God and perform a sacrifice to cleanse and atone for the sins of the entire nation of Israel. And this was called the Day of Atonement. And this day was, was necessary for several reasons, but the, the main one the author of Hebrews highlights is that no Israelite could really actually bring a sacrifice for all his sins. If you think about it, like, we all sin so much throughout the day. Like, we are such habitual sinners that we're unaware of probably most of the sins that we commit. Like, we probably are only conscious of a fraction of the sins we commit against God. And so for the Israelite, this meant that there were sins that were left unatoned for. Um, he, he couldn't bring a sacrifice for all his sins. And so God in his grace provided the Day of Atonement so that all Israel could be forgiven of the sins of that whole year. So all those sins completely atoned for on the Day of Atonement. And it's at this point that the author of Hebrews tells us that this day pointed to a greater high priest who brings his people into fellowship with God through a greater sacrifice. So let's pick up in Hebrews chapter 9 at verse 6. If you look at it with me, it says, um, speaking of the tabernacle, he says, the tabernacle and the sacrificial system, it says, these preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, the holy place, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates 
that the way into the holy places is not yet opened, as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. So verse 8 is telling us that access to the holy places, access to God's very presence, was not freely available. The way had not yet been opened under the old covenant. And we continue in verse 9, it says, According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. So verses 9 and 10 are saying that the, the need for the Day of Atonement to be performed every year shows that, that one, those sacrifices could not make the worshipers perfect in the eyes of God. And two, they could not purge the worshiper's conscience of all his guilt. See, the Day of Atonement could only bring temporary relief to the conscience. Relief that your past sins of that last year were forgiven. But the Day of Atonement didn't cleanse you of your future sins. So the very next day after the Day of Atonement, all of Israel would find themselves again in need of more forgiveness. Um, there would be other sins they were, that were left unatoned for that they were not aware of, that they would need to be forgiven of. And so therefore their conscience would condemn them, like saying, you, you have guilt before God. A clean conscience can only come through a full and complete pardon for sin. Pardon for your past, your present, and your future sins. And the Day of Atonement wasn't designed to provide this because the Day of Atonement was, was pointing to a greater high priest who would perform a greater sacrifice that would actually cleanse us of all sins. So let's look at verse 11. It, it tells us. Verse 11 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. And just, just stop for a moment. Think, like, do you know what he's talking about here? The, the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands. He's talking about heaven, the, the true dwelling place of God. Um, Hebrews 8.5 says that the earthly tent was a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. It was a representation of God's heavenly throne room. And it says, but Christ ministered in the true tent. Unlike the high priest, Christ entered into the true dwelling place of God in heaven. And when Christ entered the most holy place, he did not take the same sacrifices as the earthly high priest. Look at 12, verse 12. It says, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. He took his, his own blood, um, the blood that he spilled for his people as he died in their place for their sins on the cross. And this Christ is, as the author of Hebrews says in chapter 1, this Christ who offered his own blood is the Son of God, um, who's greater than angels, who upholds the universe by the word of his power. He spilled his blood and brought it into heaven before the Father, as an offering for his people. And so just think, like, if you're in Christ today, like, he did this for you. 
the most powerful being, higher than any power, spilled his blood. He took on flesh and spilled his blood for you and took it into heaven as your high priest. And verse 12 tells us that this secured an eternal redemption. Um, This was an eternal forgiveness of sins, a a sacrifice that lasts forever um, so that no more sacrifices are needed. Truly, like as, as John the Baptist said, like, behold, like this, who we're talking about, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the original audience of the book of Hebrews really needed to hear this. Um, and I think we do as well, that Christ did what the Old Testament sacrifices could not. He offered a sacrifice for all the sins you have ever committed and ever will commit And as your high priest, he has made complete atonement for each one. So if you're a believer today, um, all your sins are completely paid for. As Isaiah 53 says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And, And verse 24 to 26 summarizes it well. It says, if you'd read it with me, chapter 9. It says, for Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so now, our passage in Hebrews 10 tells us what this means for us. If you look over at Hebrews 10, verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, he says we have confidence to enter the holy places, These are the holy places, not in the earthly tabernacle. I I think it would be amazing enough to have confidence to enter those holy places. But he's talking about the throne room of God in heaven. Like we have confident access to God's presence. And this confidence that he's talking about isn't a subjective confidence. Like like the kind of thing we say when it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident I'll get that job. Like, I'm, I'm fully qualified. I had a great interview. Like, I'm pretty confident I'll get it. Um, that's, that's not the kind of confidence the author of Hebrews is talking about. He's saying you have certified, authorized access to God's very presence. And how, how can this be? If you look at the end of 19, it says, By the blood of Jesus, the atoning purifying, wrath-satisfying blood of Jesus gives us access to God. And it's the only way anyone can have access to God, the blood of Jesus. Not, not by your good deeds, not by your, your spiritual report card like, I, I've been pretty consistent with my Bible reading and I've been patient, I've been fighting sin, and I've been getting victory. Like Those things aren't what qualify you to have access to God. It's only the blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus alone. 
And verse 20 further describes how Jesus' blood allows us to enter the holy places. Look, it says, By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Remember when Jesus died on the cross? Do you guys remember what happened to the veil of the temple? Mark 15, verses 37 to 38 tells us, as Jesus hung on the cross, it says, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. With the temple, with the temple curtain torn, there was no longer any barrier preventing access to the presence of God. You could imagine this, this giant thing separating you, like if you went into the holy place, there's something separating you from the most holy place. But now it says that that temple's totally been rent in two, like it's open. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, when he offered up himself to God on our behalf, opened the way to God so that there is now free and unhindered access to the very presence of God. This is why Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only through Jesus and his sacrifice that we can access God. And verse 21 tells us, the author is just adding on to our confidence here, he says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, see, the author of Hebrews has been laboring for like many chapters in the book of Hebrews to show that Jesus is the perfect high priest. He's just the one that you need. You don't need another one. You don't need somebody else to perform more offerings and sacrifices for you. Um, and, and he's showing how much greater Jesus is from all the other high priests. Um, chapter 7 in verses 23 to 28 tells us um, some of these reasons why Jesus is so much greater than the other high priests. And one of the reasons the author gives is that the resurrected Jesus lives forever. He doesn't die like all the other high priests. In the history of Israel, there were, there were numerous high priests because one would be appointed and then eventually he'd die and then another would be raised up, and then he would die. And so there were a succession of high priests. But the author of, of Hebrews says that Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he lives forever. And because of this, it says in, in verse 25 of chapter 7 that he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. If Jesus is your high priest, he is living right now, and he is making intercession for you. Like you personally, Jesus is your high priest, interceding for you before God. That's a great high priest. And the author of Hebrews gives another reason that Jesus is better than the earthly high priest. And he says he's perfect, sinless. The other earthly priests were sinners, and they had to offer sacrifices for themselves before they could minister for the people. But Jesus is, is forever sinless. Um, 
Therefore, he can, without fail, bring you into God's presence for all eternity. I love this, thinking of 1 Timothy 2.5 in light of this passage. It says, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's only one mediator, the great high priest Christ Jesus. All the other mediators were pointing to him. And I hope you're, you're starting to see how significant this would have been for the original audience um, who were being tempted to go back to Judaism, who felt like, I think maybe I need to add more to have salvation, more sacrifice. And I hope you're seeing how, how foolish that way of thinking is and really how wicked that is. Like, this is, we can only access God through the, the means that he has set. We don't get to create our own way to God. And God makes it so clear that he has given his son as our mediator, who has accomplished everything that we need to draw near to him. So we don't need to add our own good works. We don't need to think like, oh man, like God doesn't want me right now because I haven't been obedient enough. Jesus ha has done all that you need in order to have access to God. And since these things are true, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but the author of Hebrews has, been, has sort of been making um, a case here. Um, if you look, it, it says uh, in verse 19, he's saying, like, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, since we have a great priest over the house of God, he, he's leading us somewhere, right? Like, because these things are true. And then he tells us where this logically leads. Um, he gives us this great exhortation in verse 22. In verse 22, he says, let us draw near. He, he urges his audience to take, to take full advantage of the privileges that Jesus has granted them and draw near to God. Go into his presence. And the amazing thing is that this isn't just the author of Hebrews like exhorting us this way. This is the, the Holy Spirit-inspired scripture. Like, God has this recorded for us. And so God, through his Holy Spirit, is speaking to us right now, like, draw near to me. Come, like, the way is opened. I have provided you full, complete, free access to my presence. Come, draw near. I was thinking it's, it's kind of like there's a banner hanging from the, the doorway of the throne room of God, just hanging from the threshold that says, welcome. He's saying, welcome, come, like you are welcome in my presence. Or you could think it's like there's a guest list pointed or posted on the door and your name is on it. Like anybody whose name is on that guest list has free access into the throne room of God. And God did this. He sent his son so that you could have access to him. Like God's the one who made the way. You didn't do it. It wasn't you, it was God. He's the initiator. And I think so often we forget like where the Bible says we're headed. Um, Revelation 21.3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. 
and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Like, this is God's plan. Like, we didn't somehow convince God to, like, make this plan, like, oh, we'll be good enough, and God will have this great plan for us. It's like, no, this is God's plan from eternity, is to dwell with the redeemed people. Like, if you are in Christ, like, you can have confidence that God has planned from eternity past that he would have you dwell with him in a new heaven and a new earth where he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. So go to him in prayer. Like, go to, go to him in prayer into his presence. There's so many commands for us to pray. It's it's not a burden to pray. God doesn't want us to feel that way. It's a privilege. We're coming before the throne of God. And he says, make your requests known to me. Ask, and you'll receive. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it'll be open to you. He wants you to know, like, I'm, I'm a good father, better than any earthly father. I know how to give better gifts. He wants us to come and ask him. He wants us to come before his presence. He wants us to joyfully sing to him, to come into his courts with thanksgiving and praise. He wants us to get together as a community with other believers and just draw near to his presence together, even as we're doing today. And I think as we look at the, the remaining portion of, of verse 22, we'll see how this will be a great practical help to us as we think about drawing near to the Lord. Um, because in, in the remainder of 22, he tells us in what manner we're to draw near to God. In what manner. And the first way we're to approach God, he says, let us draw near with a true heart. And the heart in the Bible is, is who you are deep down. It's like at the core of your being, who you are. And the author of Hebrews is saying that when we draw near to God, our hearts need to be true. They need to be sincere. They need to be genuine. And I think it's important to follow um, the examples in Scripture of like David, who in Psalm 139 at the end says, Search me, O God. He says, Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. And as we go to God like that, like with this heart, like, God, I want my heart to be pure and true before you. If we pray something akin to what David prayed, like, if God reveals sinfulness in our hearts, any, any sort of wayward bent, um, repent and ask him for a true heart. Like, even God, like, like has to give us a true heart. If you look at, at Psalm 51, it's so clear as David's crying out after his sin with Bathsheba, he's crying out, God created me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Or Psalm 86.11 says, Unite my heart to fear your name. Like the psalmist is saying, like, I know my heart's divided. Like, I want things of the world. I want God. Like, but God, help me. Make my heart whole towards you, wanting you alone. So we're to draw near to God with a true heart. And then the next way we're to draw near to God says, is in full assurance of faith. When we draw near to God, we need to have complete confidence in Christ's high priestly work on our behalf. 
Um, your access to God, you need to remember when you go to him, your access to God is, is not dependent on your obedience. Um, and no matter how much you've sinned, like you, maybe you just committed a great sin, one sin that you've repented of, and you're like, God, I don't want to ever do this again. And yet here you find yourself again committing the same sin. Like even in that very moment, like your access to God has not changed because it's based completely on the blood of Christ and his work on your behalf. So he's saying we need to have complete assurance in Jesus' blood as we draw near to God. Hold fast to him and let your heart be assured in him. And then it says we're to draw near to God with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Now, this is something that's already been done for you. Your heart has been sprinkled clean. It's, it's past tense. Um, it doesn't say that we need to sprinkle our hearts clean. It's not commanding you to, to, to sprinkle your heart. It's saying it has been done for you. And so what this means, like in the Old Covenant, blood was used to purify and cleanse people of sin and objects too, of sin and uncleanness. And here it's saying that under the New Covenant, your heart has been sprinkled clean. Your heart, not just your, your, the outside of you, but your heart has been sprinkled clean by the cleansing blood of Jesus. And this cleanses you of all sin. The heart of the New Covenant, if you remember, um, is G, uh, God says, and, and the author of Hebrews talks about it a few chapters earlier. He says, I will remember their sin and their lawless deeds no more. So you're free from that condemning conscience that the worshipers had the day after the Day of Atonement. You know, I've been sprinkled clean. My heart has been made pure before the Lord. And there's nothing that's going to make um, your standing before God change. Um, Your sins have been completely paid for. Hebrews 10, 14 is one of my favorite verses. It says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Perfected for all time. So we need to draw near to God with with a clean conscience, knowing our sins have been forgiven because of Jesus. And and the next part of that verse um, is really kind of an extension of that idea. It says, And your bodies washed with pure water. What he's saying here is that you have been made ritually clean forever. You have been made clean. Um, if you remember, being unclean prevented people in the, under the Old Covenant to have access to God. You couldn't come before God's presence being unclean. But here it says that you don't have to worry about becoming defiled because your, bodies has, your body has been washed with pure water. This cleansing lasts for eternity. You will never be defiled again. And so what this means for us um, this morning is that, that if you're in Christ today, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing keeping you from going into God's presence. Um, all barriers have, have been removed. Like, I just want us to go in prayer, like whenever we're in prayer from this time forward or we're worshiping God, just picture that, that torn veil, right? 
but not just on an earthly tabernacle, the heavenly, true dwelling place of God. So the barriers have been removed, and now God's telling you through his Holy Spirit, like, draw near to me. Come to me in prayer. Come to me in worship. The way's opened. So if, if Christ isn't your Savior this morning, um, then I urge you to go to him. Um, let, let him be your high priest. Like, God has sent Jesus for sinners. Um, Jesus came willingly for sinners. He's the high priest for sinners, and only sinners. There's, there's no sin too great that this high priest can't atone for. So I ask you, please, go to him. Let him cleanse you. Let him wash you and make you acceptable before God. And I ask all of us, like, let's go and draw near to God. And, and let's do that now in prayer. Oh, Lord, this is your word. Um, we ask, God, that you would make these truths known to our hearts. Uh, may we have that confident, sure access um, that you've given us through the blood of your Son, Lord. May we know that we can have confidence. Lord, I pray that through your Holy Spirit that these, these truths would be planted deep in each of our hearts. Um, I pray, God, that you would lead us into to many times of, of just sweet communion with you. Um, I pray that this would completely transform our prayer lives. I pray that this would, would completely transform the way um, that we worship you and praise you in song as we think about um, just how the saints and angels in heaven praise you. Um, Lord, I pray that we would just be transformed um, knowing that we come into your very presence and it's not by our deeds, it's not by our works, it's not, we have no barriers now because Jesus has completely removed them all. Um, Lord, I pray that, that we would have um, great assurance of these truths. Lord, I pray that you would encourage all of our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would be exalted um, as we worship you. And Jesus, as we worship you, our great high priest. And we pray that you'd help us to do that now. In Jesus' name.